Welcome to the East Main Podcast. I'm Brian Brodeur. In this episode, I continue my conversation with pro audio executive Piers Plaskett. We discuss mentoring and the importance of paying it forward, which goes back to one of Piers' earliest jobs as chief engineer at the Beatles' Apple Studios in London. So let's kick things off with Piers explaining his Blue Duck philosophy, which is part of his mentoring presentation to students. Yeah, I call like the presentation Be the Blue Duck. And please tell me what that means. Oh, so glad you asked. Well, of course, I have to. <laughs> Did I feed you that line? Or, 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 no, or no, that is natural, please. <laughs> Be the Blue Duck is about actions that you take to stick out in a crowd. It's a hugely crowded marketplace. And, you know, if you happen to have a bag of yellow ducks, finding the one blue duck is, is hard. You know, bear in mind, this is a 90-minute presentation, which I will try to do in, in less than two minutes. So behavior, you know, most companies hire behavior. And so there, there are certain things that you can do when you meet somebody for the first time, be it at a trade show or networking event. There are certain things that you can do that will make you slightly different from the other people that they will interact with. Uh, one of my favorite ones is um, is the business card. Uh, something I learned in my travels to, to Japan is, you know, it is courteous to uh, take the business card, read it, and comment on it. Now that's completely alien in our environment, right. but it's also something that's really easy to do that makes you slightly different than everybody else that's handed a business card. Most people handed a business card yeah. and they immediately goes in their pocket. Don't even read it. You take a moment, you look at it, you read it, you say, oh, Piers, um, wow, you're the CEO, that's cool. Uh, and you're based in New York. Now those couple of things, it's like, okay, that person is different. Will that get you a job? No. Will that be one of several things that you can do that would make you stand out? Yes. Another one is remembering a person's name. Oh, yeah. Which is hard, especially when you get older. Less of a responsibility for me today, but certainly there are proven ways to remember someone's name in a meeting. The number one proven way is to repeat their name multiple times. Sure. Brian, I meet you. Let's say, you know, you're you're doing a, a networking event at Berkeley and you've got bunch of students that want to come around i haven't met you before and it's like hey Piers, meet brian i say yeah, hey brian i'm Piers. so brian what do you do here and then you answer the question i say and and brian when did you graduate and use that enough times and you start to remember the name now there are a bunch of other things but there are things like that sure. that in the person you're speaking to in their mind it's like this, this person is slightly different and different is good because difference gets recognized. Right. One of the pieces of the, the video I saw, you talk about the phone interview and then you go for the person interview and treat everybody well. And that 
when you leave, you don't want the receptionist saying, oh, the guy showed up and he changed his shoes in the lobby. And mm-hmm. that, it's just excellent advice. And, and like I said, yeah. that um, anybody that's seeing or listening to this discussion, they immediately should try to, to find that element of what you do. And, and it's great stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, this is actually leads me to a topic that I I wanted to get to, and we've already gotten to, which is mentoring. And, mm. you know, my mentor, you happen to have known, uh, who is Harry Hirsch. Oh, my um, goodness. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The builder of media sound in New York City yeah. and sound mixers yeah. and, uh, you know, longtime recording studio executive. Mm-hmm. Would you tell me about Harry? I mean, would you tell me what you remember of him? Yeah, my interactions with Harry were because I was looking for a job. Same with me. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I mean, this is back in the day that if you you know, wanted a job, you would write somebody a letter sure. and attach a resume to that letter. Sure. I ran a recording studio in New York City for uh, several years. Yeah. And I made a point that every single person that wrote to me for a job, I responded to. And if you know somebody you know, wrote to me from you know Cincinnati saying you know I'm going to move move to New York and I'm going to get a job and I have absolutely no experience, I would photocopy a section out of Mix magazine of recording studios in Ohio and send it back to that person and say work at one of these places first. Yeah, because that is the foot in the door that you need before you come knocking on my door. And perhaps one of the most wonderful things is that over the years. I have run into people who said, you were the only person that wrote to me, and thank you. Wow. It's a cool thing. I, I mentioned before, it's a tiny business. Yeah. And, you know, today's intern might be tomorrow's boss. You never know. It's true. The industry works in, in weird ways and, and how people go up and down ladders. Yep. So let's talk mentoring. You've done a lot of mentoring in a lot of different roles, of course, you know, Mm. in your executive role in pro audio, Mm. in the studio business in general, but you've continued to give back and you present these student seminars. Why do you do it? Why make, what makes you passionate about that? Why is it important to you to be a mentor and give back? I think maybe in another life, I was perhaps an educator, hmm. I think. The simple reason is, is a selfish one. I, I really enjoy it. The best part is doing a presentation, connecting with the audience, yeah. um, and then um, I stay there until every single question is answered. And sometimes that's an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, I, I give this presentation one-on-one. Uh, or, you know, All you gotta do is ask. Wow. Couple of students from Berkeley, I think, um, I don't actually remember, I think, said, um, I've heard that you you do this. And sure, with enough preparation. And now, you know, with the the evolution of uh, uh, an improvement of, of the Zoom technology. So it's it's that and it's it's paying it forward. Like I had some incredible mentors in 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 my life. And, you know, the, one of the first people I worked with at Solid State Logic. It's a, it was a little harsh. I remember my first sort of jubilant sale that wasn't as that I, you know, ran into his office. I just sold a console. And he's like, you did? I said, to who? And I mentioned a studio in New York. And he said, um, have you done a quote? 
And I said, no. He says, but they said they're going to buy it. And I said, well, you haven't sold it, have you? And you know, it was like, it's so obvious, so obvious. But to a young salesperson, sort of reining that back yeah. in. Um, and you know, I've had some accidental mentors. My my first job in New York City, I I, I was looking for a job as technician because my my two jobs in London studios when I worked for Apple and and for, and for Trident. Uh, both of those were in technical roles, although at Apple I was actually doing some assistant engineering as well. But that's another yeah. story. But you know, my job interview in this in New York uh, was for a, a technical position, and almost as an afterthought towards the end of the interview, Harvey, who was interviewing me, says, "You do engineer, don't you?" And I'm like, "Yeah," <laughs> and I had never engineered, never engineered, but it just didn't look. Like it was that hard. <laughs> I love that. And guess what? <laughs> a few weeks later, he put me on a right. session. I was like, oh. <laughs> How'd that session go? I will remember it till my dying day. It was a demo for Metropolitan Life. And it was just a four piece, you know, piano, bass, uh, drums, guitar, uh, vocal. They're all superb New York session musicians. Sure. And so, you know, within two minutes of them arriving in the studio, they were ready. I, on the other hand, could not get anything to work. Oh. I eventually found one microphone that worked. And, you know, um, I, it was a Tascam console. It was, you know, a small demo studio. And wow. I was calling Harvey. He'd been on a very late session the night before and, and he wasn't picking up. And for a demo session, you have to get new musicians out 20 minutes after the session starts. Otherwise, you move into the next sort of, you know, pay segment. Sure. Yeah, the scale. Yeah. 17 minutes past, Harvey calls me and says, what's going on? I said, nothing's working. I said, it's coming. What? And he said, okay, there's an equipment rack to your left. All the way at the bottom, there's a toggle switch. It isn't marked. If you flick that, you'll turn on the phantom power for all of the microphones. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Thanks for the unmarked phantom button. Clicked it on, it came up. Yeah. Got it on tape and the guys were out the door at uh, 20 minutes past 10. Wow. And my, my career as a recording engineer began. Well, listen, I have to segue. You know, not everybody knows that your early engineering or studio experience was with Apple Studios. Mm. And of course, uh, people might think, gee, Steve Jobs, did he? Oh, gosh, did he have a studio in London? No, no. This was founded and created by the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Would you mind telling me how that all went down and what that was like, what you did? Because I have my own knowledge of it, but I really want to hear you describe. So yeah, I worked for the Beatles after they had broken up as a group and after um, the Apple building at Three Savile Row had been compromised um, by uh, the studio designer. Yeah. When building the studio in the basement, decided that there were some columns that were obstructing line of sight. And uh, and so the whole building had to be gutted. And that's a story. Yeah. But um, Apple set me on a pathway that I use a sort of a, a, a core of, of what I speak to students about, and that is, you know, B 
be in the right place at the right time. Right. I wrote to a bunch of recording studios. It was a process. I'd accepted a job. I got a letter from Apple saying, Piers, we've been trying to reach you by phone. We'd like you to come in for an interview. This dragged over a few days. I went in, I had my interview and it was the usual, you know, we'll, we'll get back with you. But, you know, the pressure was mounting internally because I'd accepted another job. And I said, do I want to work for this studio? Or do I want to work for Apple? I think I want to work for the Beatles. How public was their ending at that point? Yeah, the Beatles had officially broken up. So Apple Studios, of course, there's kind of like the failed building of it. People know that story. But what was the temperature? Was this a dying situation? Was this, wow, this is a huge opportunity? What was your, your vibe or temperature about taking that job? Sure, sure. I mean, the studio itself had a bit of a rocky start. And some people will alternately blame and credit an individual by the name of uh, Magic Alex. Right. But when I joined, the technical aspect was thoroughly sorted out, and it was a very, very busy recording studio. Interesting. It was a, a single main recording area, one control room, and a separate dubbing room and a mastering facility. Mm-hmm. And so not, not a huge operation, a very small staff. You know, I applied for a job as, as a technician because I, didn't, I knew I could fix stuff. I knew which end of a soldering iron was hot and... Uh, the basic sort of understanding of signal flow and so forth and said, yep, let me join you and fix things. Yeah. To conclude sort of the, the hectic week when I was interviewing with them where they were not committing and I'd already accepted another job. Yeah. I eventually on, you know, Friday morning before the Monday I was meant to start elsewhere, called up Eddie Klein, not related to Alan Klein. Right, right. Uh, I called up Eddie and, and said, I have a confession to make. Um, I've accepted a job at such and such a studio. Studio manager is this person's name. I meant to start Monday. I'd much rather work for you. And he called back that afternoon and said you could start Monday. And so I, you know, I joined Apple as green as one could be. I was probably twenty, very early twenties, twenty, yeah, twenty maybe, right around twenty. And off I went. And Eddie, an incredible mentor, um, not only. Uh, showed me the inner workings of all of the hardware, but also connected me with the external resources that I could use when I when I couldn't fix something, where to send it to, and so forth. And was on the job six weeks, figured I was doing okay. I started putting in a lot of overtime because I was you know requested to work on sessions, and uh, and so my paycheck literally got a little bit fatter. Uh, back then, many people got paid in cash. I mean, it was all on the books, but. Uh, the more he worked, the fatter the envelope was. Yeah. And anyway, after six weeks, he, he called me to his office and said, um, okay, Piers, I got good news and I got bad news. I'm like, ooh, I'm busted. And he said, um, I've decided to accept a job at the BBC and I will be leaving. And I said, is that the good news or the bad news? He said, well, I've spoken to the owners, you know, John Paul, George and Ringo, and I have uh, recommended uh, that you take my position as chief engineer. Okay. And I'm like, ooh. Deep end. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, now's the time to ask for money. I didn't ask for more money. I get up, I'm walking out of his office, and he said, oh, one more thing. It's sort of like the Columbo moment, you know. (laughs) I'm like, yes. He said, you should know that you were the only person that applied for the job. Um, We were never speaking to anybody else. 
And even though you were a bit irritating in the beginning in terms of getting an answer out of us, we decided that your persistence was worth bringing you on board. Well, thanks for listening. That was part two of my 90-minute conversation with former CEO of Solid State Logic, Piers Plaskett. In our next episode, I conclude my conversation with Piers, where we discuss the similarities between the music business and the restaurant business, how technology has changed the process of producing music, and we hear about his interactions with the Beatles at Apple Studios in London. So until next time, this is Brian Brodeur, and if you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the East Main Podcast and leave us a good rating. And most importantly, stay safe and stay healthy. 